Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. So we are in a series called You, Me, and God, and uh, this series is, uh, well, it's about several things. Uh, First of all, what we want you to know is that God created you uniquely, and we all have a very unique uh, uh, personality and perspective, and so that's one of the things this series is about. So uh, one of our key verses comes from Psalm 139. It says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's room. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. And I've joked, I was like, you know, the, your spouse or partner next to you, you say, I'm not difficult, I'm just complex, okay? But that's a part of this series. Um, Another part of this series is what it looks like to follow God with your whole entire heart, with your whole entire being, which is another one of our key verses. Jesus says it himself in Matthew, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And thirdly, this is a series about loving others well. Because Jesus goes on to say, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So we've got all these three components. Again, and I've said the Christian journey is a, it's a journey, okay? We don't just like become a Christian and all of a sudden we've got it all figured out. That is not the way it works. But it is a journey upward towards God, outward towards people, and inward towards ourselves, And that's the whole premise for this series. But every once in a while, we have tools at our disposal. And we've taken the last few weeks, and we'll take next several weeks, to talk about one of the best tools that I have found to help us really know who we are, how we're wired, how we react, how we respond. Therefore, knowing better how to love other people well, how to nurture our relationship with God well. And so we are using a tool called the Enneagram. And like I said before, we're not putting our faith in this tool. We're not preaching that this tool is the best. It's one of many tools because we want to overlay all of this with God's word. And uh, I was thinking about a verse this week, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, talking about God's word. First and foremost, whatever God says to us is full of living power. It is sharper than the sharpest dagger, cutting swift and deep into our innermost thoughts and desires with all their parts, exposing us for what we really are. And so I hope that this series challenges every single one of us because one of the things the Enneagram does for us is it kind of exposes who we are at our core. And here's the response we get when we talk about this. You start thinking about, and we're kind of going through a, a number every week. I'll talk about that in a second. And when you find out what number might be yours, this is how you might know. You might like, saying, ooh, that's me, and you're really excited about that. And then in the same breath or a couple sentences later, you're like, ooh, that is me, you know? So it exposes us in that way. It's one of the things that we love about it. So we've talked about two numbers so far. We've talked about the number nine on this, on this chart, which is called the peacemaker. And then last week, we talked about the number eight, which is called the challenger, 
Today we're going to talk about the number one, which happens to be my number. We're going to call it the reformer or the perfectionist, okay? Now, I had some fun last week. I'm going to continue our fun this week. I talked about, you know, you could look at Disney princesses, and, and, and let's have some fun giving them a number. So we talked about Cinderella. She's a nine on the scale. She's the peacemaker, okay? She says, I know it isn't easy, but we're going to try to get along with each other. That's, that's Cinderella, right? And last week, we talked about uh, that challenger, and this is Jasmine from Aladdin. How dare you, all of you standing around deciding my future? I am not a prize to be one, strong and independent. And today, maybe we could look at Elsa. She may be the Enneagram one, perfect on the outside, trying to reform the world, make it better, and actually, honestly, scared and retreats uh, as a part of that uh, because she doesn't want to overwhelm. And so we're going to talk about that, but that's a little fun part of this. All right, so let's talk about what the Enneagram One is. Let's talk about some descriptive words. The number one is disciplined, conscientious, perfectionist, critical, Opinionated, orderly, detailed, self-controlled, discerning, realistic, intuitive, and thorough. Anybody going? <laughs> All right, you may be an Enneagram One if you often feel like you try harder than everyone else at the thing that you're doing. You might be a number one if you start a task and you are going to finish it. You might be a one if you beat yourself up over the mistakes that you make. You might be a one if you like to work within processes and structures. You might be a one if you're extremely detail-oriented. Uh, you might be a one if you believe everyone needs to or really must take accountability for their own actions or words. You might be a one if you are going to do your best at every single task that you take on. And you wish others would do the same so that you don't have to redo their work when they're done. You hear me on that? Some people feel me on that? Okay, yep. You might be a one if there is something to do and you're all about doing it, but other people are goofing off around you and that bothers you. If you're thorough and you're neat and organized, you might be a one if you walk into a room and the first thing that you notice or see is the thing that's wrong or out of place. And you might be one if it's hard for you to let go of resentment. I'm going to keep going. Strengths of a person who's a one. No one works harder than a one. They stand up for what they think is right. They are great advocates for other people. Ones care about quality control. This is interesting. I really think this is true. I think ones are both idealists and they're also realists at the same time. 
and ones will sacrifice greatly for the sake of doing the right thing or getting something right. Now, when we come to church and we hear God's word and we let that uh, get into our hearts, what's really interesting about when we study the Bible, we could talk about a verse and what might really hit you with that thought, with that verse, might just totally skip over someone else, right? We know. And this is, again, another way that we can know, like, those are the things that appeal to us when we start to talk about uh, God's word and his ways. But here are some verses that ones probably like, all right? This is, these are ones that might stick out to people like us. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as with, as is, as with working for the Lord and not for human masters, Another verse that appeals to the one spirit is, let's not get tired of doing what is good, Galatians tells us. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Luke 16.10 says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in larger ones. Here's a fun one. Proverbs 6, 6 through 9 Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? Ones want to tell their friends and family members that. James 4 says, Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And I thought of this today. I do not have a slide for this. Philippians 4 verse 8, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. If you haven't gotten the drift yet, ones feel compelled um, to improve the world around them. They see the crazy in the chaotic world that we live in, and they are compelled, and I use that word intentionally, compelled to stand up for what is good and right and true and, for, and to take personal responsibility. And not only that, we have a desire to teach people what it means to live with honesty and integrity and with a moral code. We just want people to be good humans, and we're often discouraged because we can't do enough. Ones have a super high sense of morality. Many of them are teachers and educators and social justice reformers and pastors and politicians and most certainly, maybe above all, lawyers and doctors. You want a number one to do your surgery, My friend Kathy, uh, who's a fellow one, uh, she was describing to me, we were going to be asking people all throughout this series, um, you know, what is it, uh, several questions about their number, and, and so we asked her how she would describe it, and she goes, I don't want people to be afraid I'm judging them all the time, it's just that I truly care. In my mind, a perfect world would be peaceful, there wouldn't be pain, and people wouldn't be cruel or hurtful to each other. And as we go through this, we're talking every number on this chart has a core need. And so the first one, our our nine friends, our peacemakers, they have this need for peace. 
And everything they pursue revolves around this peace in their inner world and the outer world. Last week, we talked about the challenger, and the eights have this, this core need for power and control. And they look for that in every situation. Excuse me, every situation. And if there were a word, I could be illiterate here. I'm sure we cannot do this whole series, but for ones, it's perfection. They want to perfect and reform the world around them. Always looking to improve the world. In fact, ones will, you'll often hear us say things like should or could or ought to. Another thing ones might say, if I don't do it, no one else will. You might hear them say, I can do better and I will. Another thing they might say, why am I the only one doing this? Everyone else thinks it's fine to go off and have fun and I'm here stuck doing this job. Ones might say, I will not stop this task until I'm exhausted. And then I'm going to keep going some more. People who might identify with this number are motivated. So we have core need and now we have a core motivation. They are motivated by a need to do good. You want to be right. You want to strive higher. You want to improve everything. You want to be consistent with your ideals. And this is important. You want to be so beyond criticism as not to be condemned by anyone. Now, I just want you to place yourself in this person's shoes, even if this is not you. I want you to understand some of the weight they must feel. Here are some of their weaknesses. Ones can be, can be, highly critical. Ones can be highly cynical. We can be very rigid in our convictions and personal habits to the point where ones can often be intolerant of other people. We become obsessive about imperfection. With others, sure, but mostly with ourselves. It's very important. And we're prone, maybe more than any number, and maybe more than any personality, to struggle with anxiety and depression. And when a person in this mindset becomes unhealthy or stressed... Uh, again, how this, how this chart works is sometimes you could take the negative traits of other numbers there, and in this case, uh, unhealthy one, an unhealthy one will go to some of the negative traits of a four, and they become isolated and lonely and moody and withdrawn and angsty and maybe even a little irrational at times. Here's what everyone needs to know about this personality. Ones are so hard on themselves. Their inner critic yells at them literally every single second of every single day. It never lets up. It's unyielding. And so ones tend to be unreasonably hard on themselves. Of course, we want people to like us, but more importantly, more importantly, I think we want people to understand where we're coming from, that we want to make things better around us. And it's hard because the world is so difficult, and the one is so principled and disciplined, 
And sometimes when you have to do what you need to do, it comes at high personal cost. Kathy says, I want people to want what's best for everyone. And in the messiness of the world, when it's overwhelming and it's confusing and it's exhausting for me. And the hardest part of being a one for me is the constant narrative in my head of how far I fall short of goodness and perfection. And so here is where we begin to go back. The core sin of the one is resentment. Now, again, the way this is set up, we have three numbers. This is why we did it out of order. Eight, nines, and ones are that we call a triad, right? And they're in this triad called the anger triad, where, where eights will be very external and externalize their anger. We talked about that a little bit last week. Nines, they kind of just ignore it. They kind of fall asleep to it. They just let the world pass by. But ones internalize it, and we stuff it way, way deep down inside. And as you could imagine, it's very hard to get out of that once you get to that spot. Of course, we're called to by our Lord, and because we need to, we want to be the healthiest version of ourselves. And so we, we struggle with this because this is the part where we become exposed, like I said before. Uh, and when I first, you know, was studying this and reading this many years ago, and they said, you know, resentment is, is the core sin of the one. I said, no, that's not me. I'm not an angry person. But the more I thought about it, and the more I understood it, I realized how true that was of me. That I will have a tendency to be resentful towards others when they react and respond differently than what I believe should be done. Ones hate it when other people don't care. And that drives us crazy. But here's where, again, I believe this was so helpful for me because God used this tool for me to help shape me into a more healthy person because I was aware of what I was doing for the first time maybe in my life. Just pushing this down all the time. Because when we're healthy, this is what a one would look like. People see you as good and honest and principled and balanced. Ones begin to serve other people really well. We actually forgive ourselves. We become more patient people. We become less judgmental. And honestly, we begin to let our hair down and just have some fun. Which is where, again, the high health of seven will go on this chart, um, of the one will go to a seven, which is the fun, loving, ambitious, let your hair down type. And so if you're not a one, maybe this will help you. I asked Kathy, what, what do you wish people knew about ones to relate better? What do, you, what do you wish they wouldn't say or do, or what do you wish they would say? And she says, we truly care about people in the world around us. We're never faking it. We want people to be the best versions of themselves, and we are way harder on ourselves than any of you. So where does this bring us? If you are identifying, like me, in this way, I want you to remember one word today, and that's the word 
grace. You need to remember the word grace because ones, when they're unhealthy, are such ungraceful people to others and themselves, but when healthy, they need to be not only grace givers towards other people, but grace receivers. This high moral compass, this deep down, we know we aren't worthy and we feel like we're not good enough every single day of our lives. And when, again, when we're there, we really struggle when people don't admit when they can be wrong, right? Or they can't see the right that we might in a situation. And this is where the resentment settles in. And it, the one's anger is very real and we push it down until we become bitter and resentful. And we also really struggle with God accepting us for who we are. We're constantly trying to do better and to be better. And when we fall off the wagon in some way, we stay there because we don't know how and sometimes we don't want to even get up. When I think about the Bible, it's interesting and it's sort of fun to look through this lens and to see maybe some people in the Bible that might be one of these numbers. And one possibly for me could be this man named King David. And again, I'm not sure how familiar all of you are with the Bible or not, but I'm going to try to just, just look at maybe some highlights through David's life. David was a, um, a super highly skilled person. And by the way, I think ones often are because we tend to practice over and over and keep working at something until we perfect it. And so you look at, you look at the life of David. He was, a, he was an expert marksman. He was a professional musician, right? He was a poet. He excelled in a lot of areas. Typical one. First one in, last one out. Then we see him, he comes um, and his, uh, his country is at war. Maybe the most famous story we know of him against the Philistines and they have their war champion Goliath and he's out on the battlefield and he's this super humongous strongman. And everybody was afraid of him and no one would stand up for their country. And when David got word and he, you know, he got into that situation, the only thing he could do was com be compelled to stand up for the right thing and to make it right. Even though he knew it might come at great personal cost. That's a typical one. Then there's this moment in the Bible where, you know, God promises that he will be king one day, and he knows this. But the problem was there was already a king on the throne, King Saul. And so now there's this jealousy thing that happens and ultimately ends up happening is King Saul is out to kill David. And David's on the run. And he's in the wilderness. And there was this one point where Saul stops and he takes refuge in a cave and he goes to sleep. What he didn't know is David was farther back in that cave. And David had the opportune time to kill Saul. And at the crazy point of this story, David stops himself and says, no, I am going to do the right thing because that's God's man and it's not my time yet. 
In his pursuit of excellence toward God and his people, David wanted to be the king that built the first temple for Israel. And then here, I look at David's life and I look at his writings, especially in the Psalms, and this is where I see he probably struggled with depression and anxiety. And we see that in black and white words that leap off the page. God, why? And of course, we may know the story where David sinned greatly. He ends up seeing a woman. He wants her for himself. Problem is she was married. And so bottom line is, he offs her husband and takes her to be his wife. And there were consequences for that action. He's thoroughly disgusted with himself. And we find this psalm, Psalm 51, where he's crying out to God for mercy and forgiveness. And it's really interesting because I think I've never read it this way before. But as I was looking at it this week, there's this really interesting thing that he says, you know what I need to do to get myself back on track? Because remember what I said? Ones will wallow in that. And it's very long hill backwards to health. But this is what David says in Psalm chapter 51. He's crying back to God. He says, God, give me back my joy again. For you have broken me. And now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Restore me to the joy of my salvation. And make me willing to obey you. And then I will teach your way to rebels. And they will return to you. And it just struck me. Because again, when we find our joy, that's with a sweet spot for the one. And it's almost like David realized, I need to find joy in life. And it's not going to come through circumstances. It's going to come through God himself, through serving others. And for improving his world. I think it's interesting that he says, I'm going to go and teach others. It's really interesting to me. So here are some Bible verses that I want ones to take with them. And to bury in your heart. And again, this is why I say take notes. Because it's going to take a while to really get these into our heart. But if you are possibly a one. If anything I've talked about today, you are wrestling with and, and, and identifying with. And seeing yourself in. Here's what I want you to hear today. Here's the truth of God's word for you. Psalm 46.10 says this. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And Kathy actually uh, put this verse on a pa her paper she sent back to me. She goes, it reminds me that it's not all on me. I'm not responsible for the proper working of the world. God is bigger and stronger and in control. And I'm just a tiny person. And that is so relieving to me, she says. I don't have to fix everything. It's not even about me. I'm so glad that God has the perfect plan. Ones need to hear that. 
You need to stop. You need to be still. See, see, here's what I know from experience. We have a hard time sleeping sometimes because we lay awake in bed trying to figure out how we're going to improve the thing we need to improve, right? I see you feel, right? We, do, we, we struggle with that. And I need to hear, be still because you're not in control. You're just this little tiny person. When it comes to being really super introspective and realizing that I push anger down and resentment way inside, here's another verse you need to know if you're like me. Ephesians 4.31 says, Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words. You need to watch what you say. You need to be aware of how you come across. Remember, I'm preaching to myself this morning, so this one's a little different. Here's another one that I need and some of you need. Colossians 3, verse 12 through 15 says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And really pay attention to verse 13. It says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive everyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you So you need to forgive others. Be easy on other people. They might not see the world the same way as you. And it's just a warning for us. You can't change how God has wired you. He's wired you very specifically. Ones are great leaders. Ones have a way of seeing the world and being able to act on what they see is wrong. I'm going to keep reading that passage. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace, the peace that comes from Christ, rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live there, to live in peace, and always be thankful. And finally, Titus 3, 7. Not sure if I have this one up there or not. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Because of his grace. Ones, you need to hear that word today. You need to understand that word. You need to go back today and you need to look it up. You need to work on that. How do we give grace to others and how do we give grace to ourselves? And this is why I say, this tool has been so helpful for me. God used it in my life in a powerful way, and he still is, because every day I wrestle with this. Maybe some of you do as well. Maybe your partner is a one, created uniquely and wonderfully complex. It's going to help all of us in our relationships be more graceful with each other. We need once. We need once. How are you going to live the way God called you to? You see things other people don't. You have leadership potential, many of you. But give grace to yourself. Some of you need to learn today to be still. 
and know that God is in control. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful for the wisdom we find in your word. God, my prayer for this church as we go through this series is that you would show us with more clarity and understanding how you have wired us uniquely so that we can serve each other and to serve our world better. God, I'm going to pray specifically for ones today. God, I pray that you would give them a good night's sleep tonight. Let's just start there. God, that they would be able to hand over the constant thoughts in their head, the relentless you need to do better, to be better. You need to help someone else with that thing. God, give us wisdom to know how to walk in that each and every day. And ultimately to put our whole faith and trust in you. Give us the confidence to know that you created the world good. You are the perfect one. God, it's us who sinned and messed up. But God, what ones need to hear is grace towards other people as well. As a church, I want this to be one of the defining marks of us at Hope Church. That we could live in this world and give grace to the people around us. And it starts with receiving your grace, God. So give us the wisdom and the courage to be able to walk out of here today with a renewed sense of that, to be still and to know that you are God. In Jesus' name, amen.